Good morning. This is Doc Scott with um, my 90-day devotional, No More Cycles. It's January 8th, and today's topic on um, breaking free of um, shame and self-destructive cycles is um, disappointment as shame. It's interesting that um, um, this psychologist, Kaufman, says, he said, he makes the assertion that shame is experienced as discouragement when defeat is um, perceived as temporary or shame may be occasioned by the failure to attain whatever goal has been set on this particular try. And I would add that shame is um, also our experience when hope is deferred. And so we're looking at the passage, um, one of my favorites, um, uh, John chapter 5, the man at the pool of Bethesda. And I've always marveled over this passage because there are certain things that didn't make sense to it, sense to me initially. You know, it says that the man had been an invalid for like 38 years. And so he'd been in there a long time. And every so often an angel would come and stir the waters up. And, you know, the Holy Spirit would be in the pool. And um, he would try to get in it. And it says that every time he did, somebody always beat him to it. Because he was lame and he couldn't get there. And so when Jesus shows up in his intentional journey to the pool, um, you know, he went to the porticos that day at Bethesda intentionally to seek and find this man. And so when he gets there, he asks the man what I thought initially was kind of a crazy question. Like, do you want to get well? The man makes an excuse, which sounds like an excuse to me. You know, here's Jesus, the one that can, that can like totally heal you get you out of that pool. And, you know, essentially he's asking him the question, do you want to get well? And the guy's like, well, um, I don't have anybody to put me into the pool when the waters are stirred. You know, somebody always goes down in front of me. And so it oftentimes I think, um, you know, when I looked at that one, I thought it was just kind of a lame excuse. But Jesus, because of who he is and how much he knows the human heart, he knew where that man was living. He knew that that man had long lost hope. And for many of us, the terror of the unfamiliar keeps us bound to what we actually know. In other words, if sickness is the only thing you know, anything that we have to endure for a long time, you know, the Bible says hope deferred makes the heart sick. What happened after years for this man of watching somebody go down before him. Like, at what point did he become really bitter and angry? At what point had he lost hope completely and just decided not to hope anymore and live in despair? You know, the only thing that this man knew was sickness, and that's the problem with familiarity. Whether it's addiction, whether it's sickness, or whatever it is, when it's the only thing that we know, it's terrifying to do something else. I used to talk in my um, Bible Lit classes sometimes about, you know, um, what about these scenarios where a woman is living in an abusive situation, right? She's got a husband that beats her up. He's an alcoholic, comes home every night, does whatever. She has children, but she never leaves. And I would ask the question, why would she stay when she can leave and get away from it all? And inevitably, as you go around the room, people kind of, you know, state kind of what the obvious would be, or it takes sometimes a minute, they would say that essentially she doesn't leave 
because she's terrified of what life will be like. In other words, right now she has provision. She's in this home. She has her kids. She's protecting her kids. And she's not going to leave because that's the only thing she knows. She doesn't know what it's like to be free. And just because we don't know what freedom looks like doesn't mean it doesn't exist. It exists. And so for this man at the pool at Bethesda, his shame was that he he felt defeated and defective and something's wrong with me. How long after being the poster child, as my wife says, for not getting healed, who got healed of cancer, but for so many years, she'd never been healed. Nothing she got prayed for got healed. You know, and she would, she says, you know, it's our little joke, but I was the poster child for it, right? Well, if you're the poster child for never experiencing a breakthrough, at what point does your heart just give out? At what point are you totally defeated? And even though with your mouth, here's, as Christians, we would never say we're in that place, right? We don't ever acknowledge, you know, that um, we're just that discouraged. And one of the things that Bill Johnson says is that one of the key things that's wrong with the body of Christ and Christian today is we don't believe God is good. Christians look at that and we go, who would say that, right? We all, God's good. Yes, oh, yes, he's good. Well, okay, your mouth says something because you rationalize, but your heart says something else. And I believe that this man's heart had given up completely. He was totally shamed. He was totally defeated. So Jesus's question was very apropos. Do you want to get well? Why? Because he knew that part of that man wasn't sure. But here's what he did that was awesome. He didn't give the man a chance to think too much about that one. <laughs> That's called mercy. That is really like mercy incarnate, okay? He didn't give the man time to evaluate the question. He knew what his heart is in. And the thing that's beautiful too, Jesus wasn't offended at his heart. He wasn't mad like, oh, didn't you not believe me? How many people in the church have been scolded when you didn't get what you were supposed to get for your healing and somebody looked at you and shamed you like you were defective? Come on, we've all experienced that. Like what's wrong with you? What about when your life blows up and goes to hell in a handbasket while everybody's watching? What kind of shame is evoked in that? In Christendom, we crucify the wounded and we destroy them and batter them and make them feel. How many times have you heard this one? I remember one time I went on a trip many years ago and one of my daughters had an accident where she fell over. She got hurt. And the pastor of that church asked me, so, is there some sin that you haven't confessed? Because my daughter got hurt, I must be in sin. Do you see where we go? Religious people, we beat each other up all the time over things like that. We want to make people feel bad because they haven't received something from God. Well, Jesus didn't let that man stay there too long. He said, get up, pick up your mat, and go. And the man, I believe that immediately as he lifted his hand up, that man's leg strengthened. And so I think the mercy of Jesus is just kind of so unparalleled in this. He doesn't condemn us. He's not looking at me or you like we're defective. If we go to the place that God is bad, then we will never see anything that God does. 
We always have to believe and know, no matter what we see with our eyes, that God is good and the only one that comes to steal, kill, and destroy is the devil. And we need to not heap anything. People that have been hurt for a long time or been sick or all any of those things, anything that's chronic, there's a level of shame that goes with that one. And so the power of breaking that is that Jesus, like this man, has to penetrate it. That Jesus standing in front of me, which we can all have right now, because he's standing here with you right now, he's with you. He's the one that penetrates the heart and lets the, it's his faith. I wouldn't say it was this man's faith. Sometimes it's not our faith that gets us well. It's the faith of Jesus that makes us well. And so we forget about that. This is a loving God that is going to supply everything that we need in the moment for what he's doing. Sometimes we have to encounter God and have him shift something in my thinking, in my perspective, in order for me to have an encounter that leads to being healed. And I wanted to say something about, real quick, about um, right now in Dawsonville, Georgia, there's a church, Christ Fellowship, where they're doing baptisms every night. Like last night, or last Sunday night, they were able to 3.30 in the morning and baptizing people. And my wife and I went to Dawsonville, Georgia, and I'm encouraging everyone that's here to go because in every revival, the face of that revival can look different. And if you're looking for it to happen a certain way, sometimes you miss what God's doing. And in this particular revival that's been going on there, the Holy Spirit is in the water. Hundreds of people get baptized every single Sunday night and their people stay there forever until every last one. And they take, a, they take time with everyone. And when my wife, were there, when wife and I were there, we essentially were there at a time right after, um, you know, she already had a diagnosis of cancer. And we knew that there was something that God was going to do. We didn't know exactly what it was going to look like. But when we, got, when we put our feet in that water, we just looked at each other and we were like, oh my God, we are, and literally, oh my God, we're going to get it. We're familiar with Holy Spirit's presence in church service. I've never felt him in the water. That's what the pool of Bethesda was like. And that's what's happening up there right now. That is like the biggest metaphor for what's going on there for me is that it's like the pool of Bethesda and whoever gets into it, regardless of where you're at, you come out of it different. That's what encounter does. If an encounter with God doesn't change your essential makeup, then you haven't had one. In other words, how many of us by reading the book have gotten ourselves healed and experienced God in ways that are transformational? Not that the book isn't powerful, it's living, it's active, right? But the place that we miss it in Christendom is we've ruled out the encounter. And it is the encounter with God that changes us. Holy Spirit's alive. He's tangible. You know, we write him off as dead. We write him off. We want to do cerebral Christianity by the book without the encounter. Well, I'm telling you, when I look around my classroom, I see children every single day that if they don't have an encounter, their life isn't going to change because the things that we're steeped in today are just way too deep. 
And God is living. He wants us to experience him. He's tangible. Let's not write off the presence because we're made for his presence, to live in his presence, to be in his presence. So this is what I want to pray today. Father, I just ask that right now that you would break us out of any place of shame and discouragement. I just declare over us, everyone who's walking through this process and this devotional time, that we are free. And I break the power of shame that comes with long disappointment, with heart, with hope deferred. We release life and hope into every heart that has been sickened by disappointment or discouragement and consequently shamed. You are not defective. There is nothing wrong with you. The only thing that may need to happen is you might have to have an encounter to have an encounter. In other words, I can't even change my own heart to position myself for God to touch me sometimes. And so I just release that encounter. Father, I ask that in, in this building, in this city, across this country, like everyone that's been participating with this, and this devotional thing, I just ask that for all of us, that we would have that encounter in our dreams, in our waking moments, that we would experience you in some powerful way where we know that you are present with us and that that encounter would shift our hearts to receive the miracle that you have for us, that we could receive something from you because we're in a spot where we can believe you for it and we believe and know that you have more faith, Jesus, than we do. And you're a loving dad and you love loving your kids. So blessings, guys. We'll see you tomorrow at 7 a.m.